Hey Life Canton, uh, Roger here, Director of Student and Young Adult Ministries. If you are a returning listener, welcome back. If you're a brand new listener, welcome for the first time. Be sure to follow, like, subscribe, us, all of that, so that you can hear more, not only of our sermons, but other stuff we put out, like staff interviews. Uh, but either way, we're so glad that you're listening today. Uh, we're so glad that you are learning about or already a part of this community. Um, God is up to so much in our church, in, in the places people around us and he's going to be up to more so if you want to participate in that there's so many ways to participate in the activity of god but one of uh one of the ways you can participate is through giving so be sure to head over to our life churchcanton.org forward slash give page so you can give financially to what god is up to in this community and in this church uh, we are in our last week of our cross equals love series which has been just such a joy to go through it's all about what the cross means and how we're called to share what Jesus did on the cross with other people. Uh, And we're ending with a message that Pastor Jared called uh, the great invitation. Uh, So give it a listen. Uh, I think he paints this beautiful picture of what it could look like to be a part of God's activity and to invite other people into it. So give that a listen and, uh, and I'll catch up with you in just a minute. Amen. Amen. Good to worship with you. This is fun. We need the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost fire. If you're brand new to church, you're like, what did I just step into? We're talking about ghosts. Okay, this is cool, but I'll give it a shot. Go ahead and have a seat. We're going to talk some more about what that all means. We're glad you're here. My name is Jared, and I'm one of the pastors here. Welcome to Life Canton. And for those of you watching online, we're glad that you're joining us as well. And hopefully uh, you got to worship. And if you're like standing in the coffee shop and everybody's staring at you, that's entirely normal. We're glad that you're joining us as well. Uh, Thanks for being with us. If you're newer here, we're glad you're here as well. Uh, And if maybe you didn't catch John at the beginning, who hosted, who welcomed, uh, you have one of those connect cards on your chairs, and you're welcome to fill that out. Let us know who you are so that we can help you get connected and help you take a next step. We believe that you belong here. Wherever you're coming from, whatever you're experiencing, you belong. And we've been in a series, actually, if you are newer here, just to catch you up to speed. We've been in a series called Cross Equals Love. Cross equals love. And we've been talking about this idea of going lower. And it's countercultural to what we experience, certainly in our culture in America. And we've been basing it on this verse that we see in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, where Jesus says, The Son of Man, he's referring to himself, Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And, and what we understand that to mean is that that leads to the cross, that goes lower. And we see this continual descent into the experience of the cross and ultimately death. And, and that's where we're actually headed at the end of this coming week. And we'll get more into that in just a second. But some of you might be wondering, as we've been going throughout this series, you're like, man, we've been talking about going lower. We've been talking about uh, the hardship and, and a cross-shaped life and serving others, elevating others and lowering ourselves. Man, is it like, is it just supposed to be hard all the time? Are we just, is this just, just like sad and depressing all of the time? Is that what this is? supposed to be about? And maybe you've even been wondering, like, what's on the other side of that? What's on the other side of the cross? Is there another side to all of this? And Jesus gives this vision of something great, something beautiful, something filled with joy. And we see throughout the New Testament, and certainly with Jesus, we see lots of images of banquets, 
and feasts and celebrations and wedding ceremonies, uh, which in that context was, was a big deal. It was like these ongoing, long-lasting celebrations, and these banquets are synonymous with joy. But with Jesus, it's a joy that doesn't abandon the cross or a cross-shaped life. It's a joy that still embraces this idea of going lower. We'll get more into that in just a moment. But first, I want to ask uh, a question regarding banquets or parties or dinner parties or feasts. I have a question for you. Have you ever thrown a party or a dinner party of some kind where you had a plan to invite people intentionally. You had, a, you had a big group, maybe it was a Super Bowl party, maybe it was something else, but you had a plan, and you, uh, you bought all, you know, the whole spreads. You did the charcuterie boards, if those are a thing for you, um, or you, you, you had a whole bunch of really good and maybe some expensive food and beverages, and, and you had a list, and maybe you sent out invitations, and maybe it was like the whole theme. You put up decorations, and there was a whole, there was a whole thing, and, and you had all kinds of plans, and nobody showed up. Ever had that? Or at least very few people showed up. Or the people that you really wanted to be there all of a sudden just totally ghosted you and didn't come. What are you feeling in that moment? What do you feel like when you've been rejected from something that you put a whole lot of planning and preparation into and maybe actually spent a great deal of money to, you know, put all this food out? You know, all of a sudden now all of that food is a waste. But even more than that, there's this missing out that happens, a missing out of the joy of not just, you know, the food and the decorations and all of that, that's important too, but the joy of what would have come from the relationships, forming conversations of getting to know people better, of getting to enjoy one another's presence and experience. Maybe you've had that experience before. Jesus is about to tell us a story while he's at a banquet, talking about a banquet. And he actually gives this uh, story of what I just described, of this great and grand and well-planned and prepared for banquet, this party. But who's going to show up? I want to look at this, and if you have a Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 14. If you are brand new to church or brand new to the Bible, you don't even own one, you don't even know what this is. That's entirely okay. And if you would like one, we have a Bible for you, but our words for now will be on the screens, and so you can follow along in that way. I want to give you a little bit more context into the verses before I go into these verses of what is happening at this point. Um, and, and what is happening is Jesus is at a dinner party. He's, he's specifically at a party of Pharisees, these religious elite people. They're the people that have high influence in their community, uh, within the Jewish community. They're very well-to-do. They have the means to put on a, you know, a grand party. And, and a dinner party is, is a big deal in that context. And Jesus has been invited to this group. And this is kind of the elite of the group that are here at this party. And what's happening is there's... There's all this people here, but then there's a man that we find out who's probably not, he probably hasn't been invited to the party. He's maybe just nearby or just outside the room or outside of the building. And we find out that this man is swollen in his arms and legs. He's, he's not well. He, he, needs, he needs to be cared for. And Jesus points him out. 
And what happens is he asks this question, is it okay, would it be okay like, for me to heal this man, specifically on the Sabbath? Now, if you're not familiar with that term for the Jews, the Sabbath is a very big deal. It's a day of rest. You do not work. You do not exert energy. You do not create, in a sense, is what that idea comes from, from, from Genesis. You don't exert additional energy than what you are proportioned to do. And so Jesus is asking, would it be okay for me to work, to exert energy, to heal this man who is in desperate need. And the Pharisees, who are the experts in religious law, they're the experts in the, in the Old Testament in all of the Jewish understanding of what it means to be set apart and to be a follower of God, they're stunned. They're not really sure what to do. And so Jesus keeps on talking, and he sort of appeals to their different understandings. He talks to them about all of their laws that they would have been familiar with, uh, but then asks, would you, would you adjust your laws to take care of, of your agricultural needs, of your animals, and, and things that may, are maybe a little bit outside of our context? But ultimately what Jesus is doing is he's appealing to their desire for correctness or God's heart of compassion. Is it about correctness and rightness, or is it about compassion? And so then he turns the story a little bit to start talking about the party that he's at. He starts to talk about what kinds of people should be at this party just after he's healed this man who probably wasn't invited to this party. Who should come to these parties? And then he actually turns to the host. And before he turns to the host, he begins to talk about the structure of a dinner party. In that context, where you sit at a dinner party is all about status and who's the most important, and who has the greatest influence, and who should be at these parties. Now I want us to go into these verses, verse 12, then Jesus turns to the host. When you put on a luncheon or a banquet, he said, don't invite your friends, your brothers, your relatives, and rich neighbors, which is who's here at this dinner party, for they will invite you back, and that will be your only reward. Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Then at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. So Jesus just literally called everybody out at a dinner party. Just made the conversation super awkward. He just called out the host, who's this probably very well-to-do person. He's a leader of the Pharisees. He's very high up on the food chain, so to speak. And he's invited other people that are just like him. And Jesus has also been invited. He's at this party and he calls them out in this moment. He says, hey, everything that we're doing here right now is wrong. This is all wrong. You shouldn't, you shouldn't have actually invited these people. But instead, invite the people like the guy that I just healed a second ago. That's actually who should be here at this party. He corrects them while he's at this dinner party. How in the world are they supposed to respond to this? If you're one of the people sitting at this table, are, are you the, people, the, the type of person that is like, you know, this just got super tense, super awkward. I'm just going to not say anything. I'm just going to kind of like, you know, look down and, you know, take my fork and just kind of mess the, with the mashed potatoes a little bit and move things around a little bit. Are you that type of person? Or are you the one that's like, I can't take the silence. I have to speak up. I have to say something. Well, that guy was at the party, and here's what he said. 
in verse 15. Verse 15, hearing this, a man sitting at the table with Jesus exclaimed, what a blessing it'll be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. Wah, wah. <laughs> it's like, no, no, just, just stay quiet, buddy. That, that, was, that was not the right thing to say. This was like an awkward moment. It's like, no, do, do you understand what Jesus just said? Do, do you understand what the kingdom of God is all about? And he's alluding when he says the kingdom of God. He's, he's picking up on or, or taking it a step further of what Jesus had just said about at the resurrection of the righteous. So, so Jesus is referring to this future state. The future state of the kingdom of God still is like this image of a banquet. And so this man is picking up on that. So in a way, he, he understands where Jesus is going. But at the same time, I don't know if he fully knows what he just said, what he just embraced. He's sort of awkwardly cutting the tension here. And so Jesus is like, okay, we'll go with that comment. In verse 16, this is where he goes. Jesus replied with this story. A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guests, come, the banquet is ready. Just a little bit of context here. Uh, this is similar to what we would do with like a wedding where you send out a save the date. It, it's like, hey, I'm going to be throwing a party. Set this date aside. You're going to want to be there. And in that context, you know, a banquet was, was a big deal. And if you got invited, that was, that was really important. And so this is a thing that you wanted to be a part of. You were uh, respected in, in your community. And so you wanted to be at this banquet. This was a good thing. Uh, but then he would go out and say, okay, now is when it's ready. And so you would send out a servant to say, okay, everything's ready. The food has been prepared, uh, which is a lot of work in that ancient culture. And so there's a sense of urgency there. It's like, okay, come, come now. now. Now the party's ready. The food is ready. Let's not let it go to waste. This is going to be a good deal. So th this is what is happening, and, and this is how Jesus is describing this parable. And so he goes on to the next piece in verse 18. All of the guests, they all began making excuses. One said, I've just bought a field and must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five pairs of oxen and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. And another said, I just got married, so I can't come. It's bizarre, right? It's sort of weird excuses to give. And again, th this is a banquet that you would want to go to. This is an important thing. It's, it's a good thing. It's not just sort of a, a little side like, hey, show up if you want to. No, there was a lot of planning and preparation that went into this. It was an important thing in the community. So you would want to be part of this. So why are these people making excuses for why they can't come? Let's dig in just a little bit more. Some of the excuses that we see here represent something bigger in that culture. First, we got a guy who says, I bought a field, so I must inspect it. What's that about? Well, he represents our work, right? Like th this guy, he's bought a field, and that field is going to be his work. That's his vocation. He's, he's in agriculture of some kind, and so his work is super important to him. He's got to go work. I got to go work. And it's almost as if his identity is in his work, can't come to your banquet because work is so much more important to me than, than your banquet. And it's this idea when your identity is in your work, it's the idea that I am what I am because of what I do. And maybe you experience this when you're in conversation, when you meet somebody new. The first question we ask is, so what do you do? What do you do? Because that's, that's who you are. That's your identity. The second person is 
I just bought five pairs of oxen. Uh, this is similar to the first guy. The, the oxen would be used to plow a field, uh, but it's a little bit different. It's a little bit more unique for this guy. He's bought five pairs of oxen. That would be like this guy has a couple Mercedes, a few Maseratis, and a couple Porsches just on the side just in case. Like th- this is a wealthy guy right here. He's bought five pairs of oxen, which means uh, that would be needed for probably at least 100 acres of field, which in that time is a lot. Like, that's a lot. That's a big deal. So he's super wealthy. And not only that, but he's got five pairs of oxen, and he says he wants to go try them out. Well, he's not going to do, he's not going to plow five pairs of oxen uh, or plow field with five pairs of oxen all by himself. He's probably got hired workers as well. So this is a guy who's got extreme wealth. He's done very well for himself. So what does he represent? Well, (laughs) if you haven't caught it already, somebody whose wealth is their identity. I am what I am because of what I have, because of what my bank account says about me. That's what's most important to me. And so that's my excuse for not coming to your banquet. And then we get a third one. I just got married, so I can't come. What in the world is that about? That's, that's a little strange. And, and maybe some of us are like, that seems like a legitimate excuse. Yeah, like go make a family. Do, you know, do your thing. Enjoy your honeymoon. I don't know how far along you know, they are. It was this, like the day of their wedding, and so therefore they can't come on to the banquet. It, it, it's more than that. It's more than that. Jesus is pulling out this crowd uh, or the, this individual who represents family. Their identity is wrapped up in their family. My family is more important to me than this joyous banquet. And again, that might seem odd to us. Well, shouldn't our family be important? Shouldn't we care about our family? Shouldn't we love our family? And it's this idea of kind of what Nathan said, Pastor Nathan said a couple weeks ago, that we have constructed this image of family in our minds in an American context. When he was talking about inviting other people into your family, maybe widows and orphans and, and, and single family, single parents and, and other people to, to join your family, to join in on your experiences of what family looks like. He said this idea that we've constructed in American culture is that it's, it's my family time. And I put extreme boundaries around my family and I make sure that my kids get into their sports and their activities and their music stuff and we, we center all of our schedule around my immediate family and so I'm too busy to include any other families or any people that aren't like us into our experience. That's an American-made idea, not a biblical one. And Jesus is even calling that out a little bit to say your family has become too important to you to the point where you can't participate in the kingdom of God. It's this idea of my identity is I am what I am because of who I know, because of who I'm related to, because of my last name. Jesus is mentioning three groups of people that represent the biggest deterrent from relying on God and participating in the kingdom of God. Our work, our wealth, and our family. Before I go too much further, I want to ask you a couple questions as you're wrestling with this. Is work your identity? Is it 
Is it a means for you to, to stay busy? Is it the only way that you know to provide? And is that obsession with providing for you and for your family turning into workaholism to the point where relying on God isn't even a thing anymore? Or maybe is, is your possessions, is your wealth preventing you from recognizing the needs of others? Or you're just hoarding it for yourself, just consuming more and more and just adding more and more? Or is your family, is loyalty to your family preventing you from creating belonging for others who desperately need it? Work, wealth, and family are not in and of themselves sinful or bad. It's how we use them for the ministry of the kingdom of God. Jesus is poking at this. He's poking a bear here. But he keeps on with his story. The servant returned and told his master what they had said. His master was furious and said, Go quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. So now we've got new invited guests that represent all of the opposite of the things that we said before, those who find their identity in their work, in their wealth, in their family. These are the exact opposite. And check this out. The poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame all have no choice but to rely on God for everything. They have no choice. They don't have work, or they couldn't get work because of their deformities, because of their circumstances, whatever they may be. They didn't have money because they didn't have work, or they weren't part of a family that had a lot of wealth, and they certainly could not rely on their family, which is why they were in the state that they were in. Either their family was too poor and couldn't care for them, and so they're poor too, and blind and lame and crippled, or, again, their family maybe believed that God was upset with them for being poor, for being crippled, blind, and lame, and so they didn't want to associate with them. Either way, they didn't have a family. So these are all people who didn't have work, didn't have wealth, didn't have family. They had to rely on something bigger. They had to rely on God. These are the kinds of people that Jesus says in his parable, this master says, go out, invite those people in. Invite those people in because they're going to accept the invitation because they have nothing else to lose. They need this. Now, here's the thing. Jesus is telling this story in a dinner party to religious elites, to Pharisees, people who are experts in the law. Part of the reason why they might not be responding to any of this or cutting Jesus off is because they're probably a little bit confused, and here's why. They had a long history of different rules and regulations, and along the way, they developed things that became important to them. So they were supposed to be the people of God that were set apart, that sought after purity, but in their search for being set apart, for being holy, for being pure, took it to an extreme that actually deviated from the heart of God. And so what we find in very early ancient Jewish writings in something called Qumran is actual rules that say when you're putting together a dinner party, when you're putting together an assembly, do not invite people with deformities. And it actually explicitly names things like the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. They're not to be at a party. 
So the Pharisees, in their mind, as they're sitting here listening to Jesus tell this story, they're probably thinking, what in the world? We've had these rules in our lineage forever. And now you're saying we should break from these rules. No, here's the thing. These are your rules. This is your protocol. The heart of God has always been for the outsider, has always been for the outcast, the one who has no choice but to rely on God for their needs. Jesus reminds them to go lower and to break from their protocol. The story doesn't end there. The parable keeps on going. Check this out, verse 22. After the servant had done this, he reported, there's still room for more. So his master said, okay, go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. Okay, so there's, there's still more room for who? People who live out in the country lanes, people who are behind the hedges. What is that about? It's this idea that these are people who are outside of the village, who are outside of the community, who are outside of the city. See, the, the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame, they're still in the city. They're still begging. They're still relying on people, hopefully, to maybe help them out along the way. But these people, perhaps they're poor. Maybe they have some deformities as well. But they are so far away from the rest of the community. They're in hiding. They're behind the hedges, in the country lanes. They don't even feel like they can enter the city. Perhaps they're in hiding because of their shame. Perhaps because of their circumstances, their life choices, their lifestyle, maybe they have been rejected. Maybe because of who they are, they have just constantly been reminded that they don't belong, that they've been pushed aside, and so therefore they don't even have the courage to come and be in the city. And this master knows about these people. They're out there. Go find them and bring them in. Some of you can relate to this. Some of you are in hiding, feeling all kinds of shame. You've been rejected because of certain things that you've done or certain things that have been done to you. Maybe it took all your courage that you had left to even come into a church building wondering, are they going to accept me? Am I going to belong there? They don't know what I've done. Jesus says, no, the, the master in this story says, go out and find even them and bring them in. And then he finishes his parable. He says, for none of the first I invited will get even the smallest taste of my banquet. That's harsh. There's a consequence here. For those who consider themselves put together, the religious elite, the ones who feel they've arrived, they're already there. They're at the party where Jesus is telling this story. Jesus says those are the ones that don't actually get to be in the great banquet, the resurrection, the kingdom of God in its future tense. They won't even get to taste the banquet. What is that about? It's this idea of reminding these people, hey, look, and specifically the host, you could have invited 
the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. You, you could have put on this amazing spread for people who actually need it. You could have actually helped, but you didn't. You didn't. And so, therefore, you missed the heart of God. You missed it. So, of course, you're not going to taste this banquet because that's not what your desire is. You're wrapped up in your work, in your wealth, in your family. And then to the man who says, what a blessing it will be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God, while Jesus' response is essentially, yeah, it is a blessing as long as we understand what the definition of blessing means. It is a good thing, and there is joy, and there is celebration on the other side of the cross, so to speak, but it's not a joy and celebration that abandons the cross or abandons a cross-shaped life. It doesn't abandon the idea of going lower, and it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you something. See, in that context, if you were to put on a banquet, there's a lot of cost associated with that. Usually, it was centered around maybe killing one of your prized animals. If you had livestock, you kill your prized animal, and then that's what's served at the feast, and you put lots of planning and preparation into this, and there's a a sort of a, a save the date, and then you're inviting the guests If there's such a high cost and a high sacrifice to that, wouldn't you want to invite people that are eventually going to repay you down the road, whether it be financially or in the community? Maybe they can speak well of you in the community and be like, oh yes, that person, he's a great man, he's a wonderful, influential person. Your reputation is repaid in a sense. Wouldn't you want to invite people that can repay you? Why on earth would you spend energy making such a costly sacrifice on people who cannot repay you. Why? Because of love. Love. That's the only reason. Love is costly. This is why the cross equals love. There is a cost to this. And in fact, what Jesus is referring to in sort of the present moment, but also uh, with a vision toward the future, is that he is the banquet. He will be the prized sacrifice. He's referred to as the sacrificial lamb who takes away the sins of the world. He will be the prized animal, if you will, around which everything is centered. And it all comes at a great cost to himself all for the sake of being able to invite those who cannot repay him. And in fact, he specifically invites those he knows can't repay. All of those who will ultimately find their identity in Jesus and not their work and their wealth and their family and their possessions and everything else that deters us from the kingdom of God. And don't be mistaken, the the people that he first invited, the ones who find their identity and their work, their wealth, their family, they were in fact invited. They were still invited, absolutely. But it was their choice to reject the invitation. The question today is, Jesus is inviting you to the table. Will you accept? Will you accept his invitation? Will you recognize your woundedness 
and say, I have nothing else. I must rely on God. We're going to sing a song in a little bit that is all about this idea. It's talking about coming to the table. And in the lyrics, it represents, or it, it, it speaks of people that are wounded and forsaken, broken and forgotten, lost and alone. You are who the party, the banquet, the dinner is for. If you find yourself maybe emotionally in hiding or outside of the city or in shame, you are invited. And then for those of you who have accepted the invitation, maybe years ago, you're like, yeah, yeah, I'm all on board with Jesus. I, I follow Jesus. Are you then turning into the person that Jesus calls you to be? Are you becoming an invitational person? Or has correctness trumped compassion? And, and are you jockeying for the right status and the right position at the, at the table? In your pursuit of being set apart, in your pursuit of being pure, has it distracted you from turning your eyes towards those who are still out in the city streets, who are actually outside the city in the country lanes in hiding? Are you becoming an invitational person as well? Who are you inviting into your life if you are? What kinds of people? And what's your motivation for inviting them? for being an invitational person to them? Is it so that they can eventually repay you? What's the motivation behind it? I know for me, I struggle a little bit with this idea of like, well, I, I should be correct. I should be correct more so than compassionate. There's a, there's a certain order to how I should care for people. I don't want to reach out too much and care for them too much because what if it was their fault that they got into that position? Or, or what if I actually perpetuate something where uh, my helping actually hurts them and actually pushes them further back into poverty or into their hurt or into whatever their situation might be? And so I struggle with that, and my tendency, honestly, is to lean more towards correctness than compassion. And then God wakes me up from time to time and draws me into situations where my heart needs to adjust a little bit more, align a little bit more with his heart. In fact, it happened just this last Tuesday. I got a call from one of our worship leaders, Clemente. Some of you know him. And uh, I was just about to go pick up my kids from school. And he calls me and says, hey, uh, I'm in a bit of a situation. Uh, I'm wondering if you can help me out. I, he's a teacher. He's like, I just, I just left my class and I ran into this family of Romanian refugees a wife and a husband and their little little boy. And it's a, it's a long story. They're, they're, they're supposed to be in California, but they ended up in Michigan. They're, they're Romanian refugees, so they're trying to work out like their paperwork and stuff. And so this person was in Michigan, and they were trying to connect with them to get it all squared away. And it was kind of a risky trip for them to come here and to make it. And so now they're trying to get back to California, and it's really hard. They have very little gas. They have very little money. They have no food. And so... I, I want to get them something to eat, but Jared, I, I, I think they need more than that, and I'm not sure what else to do. And so I said, okay, let, let me go pick up my kids. I'll, I'll think of some different options. Maybe I'll call some places. Maybe I'll look into some shelters, perhaps, if they could stay a night. And I texted him back, and I said, hey, just could you discern where sort of the family is at and what their needs might be? 
Is this a situation where maybe they need a hotel room or something like that or something more? And he said, I, I don't know, I'll get back to you, but right now I'm going to take them to dinner. And what Clemente did is he, he could have taken them through the drive-thru at McDonald's. That's cheap, right? Just go to McDonald's. No, Clemente takes them to Outback Steakhouse, and, and they get leftovers. I mean, he takes them to a nice place. It's a costly place, right? It's, it's a good meal. And he tells me this. He's like, we're at Outback right now. Um, I tell you what, I, I think they could really benefit from a motel room. I don't know that we're going to be able to do much after that, but at least we can do that. I was like, okay, okay. So I, we decided a, a meeting place at a motel just off 275. I said, I'll meet you there. He said, great, we're going to have dinner. We'll meet you there in about an hour. And I'm, I'm thinking like, okay, this is, this is awesome. He, what he is doing is like contagious, right? Like he's, he's going above and beyond. Could have taken them to McDonald's, takes them to Outback Steakhouse. We could have looked at some shelters, but he says, no, I think they, I think they could use a motel room. I'm like, okay. So like I'm, I'm getting inspired. I'm my heart in this moment, and I wouldn't be able to articulate it in that moment, but I'm, as I'm reflecting on it now, I'm like, yeah, my heart is getting shaped by somebody else who's in our church, who's not on staff, who's literally being a torchbearer, which is what we're talking about in our vision, right? <laughs> to bear the torch of Christ's justice and love. He's teaching me how to do this. And now I'm, a, I'm in a predicament, and I've got to figure out what to do because my wife's out of town, and I'm just picking up my kids, and I'm like, well, I can't just leave them. Uh, so I take my kids with me, and we all get up in the van, and I'm like, all right, guys, we're going to go help out a family in need. And they're like, okay, cool. And my, here's the thing. We wouldn't have been able to do that if my kids were in hockey, if my kids had all this music practice, if my kids had to do all of these other things. We weren't busy. We had nothing else to do except for homework, which they did in the van. I'm making it sound like my kids are perfect, and they are, in a sense, but we, we mess up all the time, right? And they yell and shout and scream and all of these other things, but they were so on board, and we get in the van, and we go, and we meet Clemente, who they know, and they love Clemente, and they see Clemente doing his thing, and we're talking with the family, and we get into this motel, and we get him set up with the room, and in the meanwhile, Clemente and my kids, uh, they, they get out of the van. They're not really sure what to do, but they get out of the van, and they have this little soccer ball, and so they're kicking the ball around in the parking lot, and my kids are just having the time of their life, and I'm getting everything squared away in this room. And I'm just thinking, this, this is what this is supposed to look like. This is what a heart of compassion looks like. I can't fix their whole situation, but I can do this. And, and because, you know, because of your generosity, honestly, uh, we have a fund set aside for benevolence, and we're able to, like, take care of this family for one night in a hotel, and then send them on their way and, and pray that God continues to care for them and protect them. And here's the thing, we got to pray over them, and my kids are watching, and Clemente is just bawling and, and giving them his cell phone and gives them a hug and says, I don't know why God had us meet to get together today, but I'm so glad he did, and, and I'm, I'm going to keep praying for you, and you just, you just give me a call anytime you need, and I'm just constantly reminded that he's doing this better than me. I'm supposed to be the professional at this, right? Like, I'm the professional Christian. I'm the pastor, and my kids expect this from me, too. They're like, of course, my, my dad would do this, but they're seeing Clemente do this for this family, and as we're driving back home, I'm talking to my son about it, and I just look over him, and he's, he's just got this giant grin on his face, and he just says, 
I just feel really good. My son's 11 years old. He's just like, I just, I just feel really good that we got to help. I'm like, yeah, it does, it does feel good, doesn't it? This is what Jesus is inviting us into. And it's contagious. Here's the thing. Cross-shaped living is actually joy. Serving people, going lower, is actually what the true expression of joy feels like. And yes, there's, there's hardship. There is. There's suffering. And there's pain. But when it's not just an event, but a lifestyle, our default mode as God keeps on shifting our hearts. And as we actually pray that prayer that we sung just a moment ago, Holy Spirit, I need the Holy Spirit fire to refine me. Over and over, that heart just keeps getting molded. And our default mode is that cross-shaped life of going lower. And then it's when we actually enter into the truest form and expression of joy. And it's beautiful. And the world doesn't get it. This is what we model for one another. This is an opportunity to model this for our people, our young people, our, our, our kids. My question is, is how do we move from it just being an event to a lifestyle? How far are we willing to take this? See, because there's actually more than just the story that Jesus just read. You have to see what comes next. The very next section of Scripture, I think, is so important to see and to not miss. In fact, I want to read it for you. Verse 25. A large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and said to them, If you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. What in the world just happened here? That's a turn that I wasn't prepared for. I, I thought we were just talking about hosting dinner parties, and now we're talking about i got to hate my family? What in the world, Jesus? What is this about? See, Jesus is using sort of a, a rhetorical tool in speaking, preaching, teaching here, where he uses hyperbole to, to, to bring up the greatest extreme to make a point, to say, look, you need to understand the, the risk, the cost, of what it means to actually follow me. It's not going to be easy all of the time. It's going to be hard. And, and in fact, when you choose to follow me, it is not just a one-time event. It is an ongoing lifestyle. And you may, in fact, lose things that are important to you, whether it's your work, your wealth, or yes, even your family. Some of you know what that's like. Some of you in your pursuit of Jesus and your passion for Jesus, it's maybe changed the dynamic of your family relationships. And maybe it's actually even caused some division. Jesus promised that that could potentially happen. Are you prepared to lose things that are still important to you but for the sake of the kingdom of God? This is going to be costly. Where do we go from here? Where does life Canton step forward? This whole series, we've been talking about this idea of going lower. It's been descending lower and lower into humility and what it means to look like Jesus. And some of us, 
maybe we understand that at a conscious level, a cognitive level, but like to really understand that in our heart, to understand what that looks like and how that should transform our lives. We just need to go a step further. And so here's an action step that I want to give you for just this week. I want to invite you to Good Friday. Because what Good Friday represents is today we talk about Palm Sunday and it's joy and celebration, yes, but as Jesus enters into this week, 2,000 years ago, what the church has traditionally recognized is Passion Week, is Holy Week, is this further and further descent into the epitome of what it means to go lower, all the way to death on a cross. I want to invite you into the experience of the cross, into the epitome of what it means to go lower, and sit with it, experience as much as we can the pain of the cross and what the sacrifice actually means. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We're invited into that experience. Come this Friday from 6 to 8, it'll be an experience to just wrestle with and to sit with that, the epitome of going lower. Also, are you invitational? There's an opportunity to invite somebody to Easter on Sunday, to be invitational to the kinds of people that Jesus talks about. Not just to the people who already like us, but maybe to the people who are in need. Bring them into a community of love, and belonging. Is there somebody that you're thinking about right now that you could invite to Easter? And there's no hook, right? There's no, there's no incentive. We're not dropping Easter eggs from a helicopter. I'm not even making that up. There's a church that did that once. There's like big programs that we could put on. No, we're just inviting them into a relationship. I heard this line a long time ago, and it stuck with me. What we draw them with is what we keep them with. Draw them into relationship. It's got to be bigger than just what happens on the stage. It's got to be bigger than what we see on social media. It has to be a relationship. Invite them, not just to Easter, but into a relationship. And then lastly, consider investing in young people. They're watching your every move. They're watching, are, are you living a cross-shaped life? Are you going lower? Are you living in humility? They're watching your every move. Invest in them, care for them, love them. In fact, I'll give you a really easy action step. We have some needs in Life Kids. We'd love to, for you to be part of our team, to start investing in our young people. Even at that young age, they're still watching you and learning from you. As we close our time, I mentioned I want to sing this song. I'm not going to sing it. David's going to sing it because I don't want to take you out of the experience. The song, Carried to the Table. Some of you are not sure what you stepped into yet today. And some of you, maybe those words resonate with you. You feel wounded, forsaken, 
lost, broken, hiding, full of shame. You are invited to the table. And you might not even have the strength to get there. Jesus carries you to the table. And so I want to invite you to pray along with me to claim a, a new identity, not an identity that is wrapped up in work and wealth and family, not a, an identity that is wrapped up even in your shame or your past or your brokenness or your circumstances, but to claim an identity in Jesus. Would you pray with me, please? God, some of us in this room today are tired. so broken and we don't know where to turn and here you are to invite us not to an event but into a lifelong relationship and some of us feel so weak to even get there you carry us even when we're at our lowest point to the table, Jesus. Uh, that was so good. I hope you enjoyed that message and, and I hope you're thinking about who you're inviting to the table. You know, are you inviting the people that Jesus called you to invite to the table or are you walking them into the community in some of the ways uh, that Pastor Jared talked about? Even, even just inviting people to church uh, next weekend as we celebrate Easter, are you inviting people into that? You know, I, I think he gave us a lot to think about uh, and challenged us a little bit, but also painted, like I said earlier, this beautiful picture of what it looks like for the people of God to come together uh, with those that are invited, uh, which is everyone, and, and especially those on the outside. So um, I hope that you have opportunities this weekend to, in this week, to invite people in to our community. There's a lot of ways that you can be a part of that community. You can reach out for prayer um, via a Connect card on our Now page. Um, you can even reach out to see if there are upcoming uh, life groups that you can join over the summer to be a part of a group of people, a, a group of believers uh, who are doing life together. Uh, so there's so much you can do. Uh, reach out to us if you need prayer or, or any of those other things. But be on the lookout this week for those moments and those opportunities to invite. I hope you have a blessed week, and we'll see you again real soon in a week for Easter. Talk to you. Bye.